This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 262. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined this evening by producer and co-host, Matthew Marister. What's going on, man? <laughs> hey, dude. Hey, we got somebody checking in from Florida. Sorry, guys. Before we went live with recording the podcast, uh, we were seeing where everybody on Facebook was checking in from, and we basically covered all corners of the U.S., with Facebook viewers tonight. Uh, we know that many of you listening to the podcast are not normally able to tune into Facebook, and that's okay. That's why we still tr- focus on producing what we hope is a quality podcast first with excellent uh, audio quality and a Facebook show secondary to that. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining in and tuning in to... This is this is actually an evening show <laughs> now. Just, just this time, uh, perhaps... Uh, uh, generally record during the days, uh, typically Tuesdays and Thursdays. This week got a little hectic. Next week's not going to be much better, and I'll explain why here in just a moment. Uh, but uh, Friday evening, November, uh, not November, October 5th. Gee whiz, we're five yeah. days into October already. It's about uh, 11.22 p.m. Uh, East Coast time. Uh, here it's 9.22 in, uh, in the Mountain West. So welcome, everyone. Um, so... We are talking tonight about, uh, we're, we're doing part three of the Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide. Super cool. Uh, we did just 10 episodes ago, part two, and part one came 114 episodes before that. <laughs> so, uh, back by popular demand, as we had several of you listeners uh, email us with suggestions for the part three episode with your questions and, and things that uh, some of you are beginner shooters or beginner concealed carriers and we, we totally get that and that's why we're here and that's why we're putting this together. Appreciate all those of you that uh, took time to shoot us an email and you can of course always contact us at podcast at concealedcarry.com and uh, send us your thoughts and suggestions as, uh, and, and questions what you, that, that you, wanted to have, you wanted us to, to go ahead and answer tonight. So, tonight's episode, by the way, is brought to you by, first and foremost, Ammo Supply Warehouse. AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. These guys, let me tell you, um, Butch uh, and his his buddies, his partners over there, great team of people with excellent customer service with some of the industry's best prices on ammunition. Check them out. They got some really crazy good deals. AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. We are so pleased to be partnered up with them as they have uh, joined forces with us in in offering a 5% discount to all Guardian Nation members. So those of you that are Guardian Nation members, if this is the first you're hearing of it, you can rejoice because Ammo Supply Warehouse already has some of the best, lowest prices for quality ammunition anywhere. And with Guardian Nation, you can save even more. And they also have specials where... They're, they have certain packages, like typically it's 9mm and two twenty three. that if you order uh, you know, pretty good bulk size as far as, I think I think the minimum is typically 2,000 rounds. It's a great way to go because they'll give you free shipping uh, by placing an order for at least 2,000 rounds like that. Um, take advantage deal. of, oh, it's awesome, dude. In fact, we had a Garden Nation member just the other day place an order, and uh, I know they got a great heck of a deal. So Yeah, and, and if you think you're not going to use 2,000 rounds, you probably will, but if not, Get your buddy, get a thousand for him and a thousand for you. There you go. Do it that. Yeah. Do a split order. Heck yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
yeah, um, great, great ammo, great people. Check them out, ammosupplywarehouse.com. And if you want to save 5%, make sure you are a Guardian Nation member. And uh, you can join, if you're not already, a member at guardiannation.com. And for those of you, of you that are members and want to know how to take advantage of the 5%, it's pretty simple. Just log into the members dashboard on concealedcarry.com and go to the member discount uh, page. When you Once you log into the dashboard, you, you should see a button, and I think it's labeled discounts. Click that and uh, follow the instructions. There's a coupon code that, that will change somewhat frequently. Uh, and that's where you want to go each time that you're going to place an order to make sure you have the latest and greatest coupon code. Um, we do ask members don't abuse that code or hand it out. Uh, if, if we catch you, we're, we're gonna we're gonna crack down. We're gonna crack the whip. All right. <laughs> so that's that's for members only. All right. Um, let's see. There was something I was going to add, but uh, I don't remember. So let's move on. Next uh, uh, episode sponsor is Vehicle Firearm Tactics video course. This is a video course we filmed uh, almost a year ago now. It took us a while to get released officially. We have v DVDs now available. It's also available for streaming online through our site. Uh, really, really, really good uh, vehicle-based uh, defense uh, course. Um, and if you want to learn more, if you want to watch that, check it out. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT. I bring it up because coming up here next week, we are going to be filming uh, here in Colorado. We're going to be filming a new video course that's going to be based and focused around home defense. And I'm putting out a, out a call to all podcast listeners that uh, if there's something about home defense that you want to know about, you have questions about, that you don't understand, that you would like to see us cover in this uh, home defense video course, like I said, we'll be filming that starting Tuesday this next week, shoot us an email, podcast at concealedcarry.com by Monday evening. Okay, Monday, would that be like the 8th, I think, of October? Is yep. that right? Yeah. Yep. Shoot us an email by the 8th, I think it's the 8th, yeah. Shoot us an email and uh, hit us up with your suggestions as to what you think we ought to cover in that course. We'll, we'll see if we can get it in. I think we already have a pretty good outline. We already got a good flow for that course planned out, but you know, it's always good to have some input and, and make sure we're not missing something, okay? We, we, wanted to make, we, want, we want to make it a really awesome course, all right? But uh, in the meantime, you can enjoy Vehicle Firearm Tactics, concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT. So that's all I got to say about that. Uh, recently, we had a uh, podcast review on iTunes. This will be just a short call out to all, all you out there. If you haven't left a review on iTunes for us or on Google Play about the podcast, uh, go do that now. We appreciate it. But we had someone leave a, a, a review and they said something about uh, we, we had too much of, of an advertisement or something at the beginning of the show. And uh, I'm sorry if you're listening still, if we didn't lose you because of that, uh, I'm sorry. But would you rather us get it out of the way or interrupt the show throughout the show with ads? I don't know. Take your pick. I think most people, because you know what? If you, you can just skip like five minutes ahead and just listen to the stuff, okay? Although, yeah, yeah. That, that was actually me. I'm sorry. I oh, left that review. I knew it. I knew it had your, <laughs> your signature all over it, bro. Okay, so let's get going. Tonight, as we mentioned, is the Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide. Part three, 
we've got some some great topics coming up here. And this is one I think that you proposed to do for part two, Matthew. But you mm. had to duck out, and then we also ran out of time. And we, it ran mm. pretty pretty long. And uh, so this first topic we're going to bring up is what to do with your EDC gun when you're not EDCing. Or every no. for now, this is the beginner's guide, right? So chances are there's there are beginners out there that don't know what EDC is, and that's totally okay. So everyday carry, all right? So this is your everyday carry gun. Uh, a lot of people have a, kind of an an EDC gun, something that uh, they try to keep consistent with, uh, something they're very familiar with. They practice and train on train on regularly with. Uh, so that their EDC gun, the one that they're most likely to have with them at any given time and use in, in a self-defense situation, uh, that, uh, th- that it's the same gun all the time, right? Now, I don't follow that philosophy to a T, but uh, yeah. All right, what Matthew, what's the deal with uh, this proposed topic? What to do with your EDC gun when you're not EDCing? Yeah, I just, I thought about this for the last episode because... Um, I, I, there was a couple different comments I saw on, you know, I, I kind of go through comments and, and people will say certain things. And um, whenever there's like a conflict, somebody believes this and somebody believes that, I'm like, oh, that'd be a kind of a good topic to talk about. doesn't mean, you know, we're right, wrong, whatever, but it's a good topic to get out there and let people, you know, hear. Um, and, and my, you know, the way I do it is my EDC is my, it, it, that's my everyday carry gun. Um, I keep it loaded in, in a quick access safe, um, but it's not necessarily a gun that is designated for home defense. I mean, yes, it's right there. Um, but I have other guns that are designated for home defense. So I don't use like my EDC, um, for home defense. I don't, you know, um, I dry fire with it, but I don't use it for, you know, target, you know, I would, if I would to go shoot a competition or something where, you know, I have a tricked out gun. I'm not going to use that for my EDC. So, I mean, my mindset is my everyday carry gun is, is just that it's, it's, you know, set up how I want to carry it for everyday carry. And I kind of leave it like that. Um, and when I'm not using it, you know, it's loaded in a safe. Um, but I know some people I've seen, um, some of those holsters that they have like magnets and they stick it like on the back of a door or something like that. And this, um, that's probably not a good idea. Um, maybe if you live alone or something like that, but, um, I think you got to treat your everyday carry gun. Uh, you, you got to know where it is. I mean, people come in the house and I, I had a student, I, I had a student that actually said they come in the house and they, they take it off and they put it a certain spot on the counter and like if they have to do unload groceries or something, they unload the groceries and then they go, you know, upstairs and lock it in their safe. And I'm like, that's probably not a good idea. Like, cause they don't unload it. They just take it off. So that's kind of where I, I was going, um, you know, with that. I don't know if that's kind of what you do or how you look at your EDC. Uh, I'm a lot more flexible with my EDC. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I've just kind of gotten to a point now with the, the guns that I carry. I'm comfortable with all of them. Um, I, I'm okay with like whether it's a Glock 19, a P320, a P365, even a Glock 43. Still, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Like 
whatever comes out of my holster goes into my hand and I'm going to shoot it. Um, so now generally, so for a lot of the summer, uh, since I got my first P365, I, I, that was kind of my EDC gun. Now I was trying to get a lot of reps with it, uh, shoot it a bunch, run it through its paces. Um, it, it, I, no, there's nothing, no reason why I've stopped carrying it, uh, other than I'm working on some other projects. And so lately I've been really heavy back into my Glock 19 and even a Glock 17 was actually what is, what is on my waist right now. Um, which is, you know, we'll talk some more about this here in a little bit as far as like different gun sizes and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I'm carrying a, a basically a full size gun, a duty gun. Um, and I'm, I'm cool with that. Right. So, so what's nice with, you know, if a Glock 19 or P320 or Glock 17 is your, is your EDC gun, then that can double very nicely as a home defense gun as well. Right. A little bit bigger gun, uh, very easy to throw a weapon mounted light on if, if you desire. Um, you know, this, these are definitely good, good guns for home defense, just as they are for EDC use. Most mm-hmm. people don't carry them because, well, definitely Glock 17s. I do know a fair number of people that carry a 19, but, um, you know, because they're large, bulky, heavy, or whatever, right? So uh, I would counter that with, you know what, I, I try to carry the best tool for the purpose. And always a little bit bigger, more shootable, more accurate, more, you know, higher capacity gun is, is always going to be my preference over something very small and low capacity. Um, and you know what, I, I don't carry a gun to be comfortable necessarily, although I do find, you know, I, I have strategies and ways and holsters and different things that help make it more comfortable. Um, so yeah, my EDC gun frequently my EDC gun is the gun that goes in my safe by my bed. That is my quick access gun, you know, in the middle of the night. So that's my, my thing. Um, now I do have, um, that, that handgun vault has couple, it has two shelves in it. So there's always a secondary gun in there. That's, that's generally always in there. That is also an appropriate home defense gun. That one kind of probably rotates a little bit. It might be a P320. It might be a Glock. It might be something else. Um, but then whatever I'm carrying typically goes in the second or the, actually the top shelf and, uh, whichever gun is most appropriate for, for home defense use, I'm going to throw my weapon mount of light on when I put it in the safe. Mm-hmm. Do that every night. It's, that's the routine. I, I carry all day long. I go to the safe. I'm going to bed. I take the gun out, put the weapon mount of light on, stick it in the safe, go to bed. You know, get up in the morning. I take the weapon. You know, I know a lot of people carry with a weapon mount of light on. I don't do that um, typically, but yeah. So that's that's kind of my routine as far as what I do with the EDC. Here's the big thing though. Like you were, you kind of touched on this. Uh, too many people don't carry guns in their homes, uh, and I, we can point to much in the way of evidence uh, as to why that's not the greatest idea, that there are so many home invasions that occur um, at times where people normally could be armed, but they, but they aren't because they choose not to be for whatever reason that would, that might be, Um, you know, it could be a comfort issue as far as you can put up with the discomfort or inconvenience of having the gun when you're away from the house. But as soon as you get back home, you want to be comfortable. So you remove the gun. A lot of people will change their dress when they get home to something more comfortable that might not be conducive to, to carrying a gun. Um, and so they'll remove the gun at that point. Um, you know, and if, you got to think of your own personal home defense strategies. Uh, mm-hmm. If you don't have the gun on your person, you might have very, you know, you might have planned very well for 
other contingencies as far as other uh, places that are within close reach uh, and quick access that you can get to in a situation. Um, but I, I prefer to have that gun on my person at all times, uh, no matter where I am. I, I'm at home most days, all day long. I work from here for the you know, by and large. And, uh, which by the way is a really great home defense strategy because <laughs> the house is like almost never vacant <laughs> for an opportunity right. for, for somebody to break in. Right. So anyway, so that, that I, I'm kind of rambling at this point. Those are just some thoughts uh, for me about uh, my approach as it relates to EDC. Yeah. And, and I think just wrapping it up, um, uh, I just would add like whether you carry in your home or not, you know, um, is ultimately going to be your choice, but what I think the main point to take is if you're what, what you do with your EDC, you should kind of get into a habit of doing that. Cause I think when we build habits, um, then we kind of get in routines and we're less likely to put our gun in this safe this day or put it in this safe this day, or this time it ends up on the drawer this time it's on, you know, it's just like you get into a habit and, um, it, it becomes a lot easier, both, you know, a habit of carrying it. Um, you know, so I, I just think, Know what you're doing. Come up with a game plan, home defense strategy. If it's part of your home defense strategy, great. If it's not, great again. But, you know, um, come up with a game plan and kind of stick to it and start building habits. Yep. Yep. Cool, man. All right. Good stuff there. I'm going to turn now to, we had some questions come in uh, via email uh, from some listeners. And uh, let's see, the very first one here I'm going to touch on, yeah, this would be a good one. We'll start right here. By the way, I do see a comment here from uh, Cameron. He says he, says he loves my hat. Uh, uh, so I will, I'll, I'll mention that real quick because this is a cool hat. The hat looks like, you know, one of Donald Trump's hats, Make America Great Again. Instead, this says Make Guns Great Again. Now, I think they're, they're already great and always great. This is probably definitely appropriate to wear in like California or New York or something. But uh, this is, I'm wearing it tonight. Uh, in in honor, essentially, of uh, of my friend uh, Eric Ward, who's one of our instructors down in Houston, Texas. Uh, he, just this last weekend, he came through a certification course with uh, me and Jacob to be certified as one of our first Guardian Pistol instructors uh, in the country. And uh, so he gave me this hat as a gift. He, his his company Forward, uh, what is it? Forward Fire. I, I always I can't always can't I cannot always remember. For- Forward, forward defense, defense firearms yeah. and training. There you go. Forward yeah. defense firearms and training. He makes these hats. You guys can probably look him up and and get one of these for yourself if if, if you want. So that's why I'm wearing it tonight. All righty. Uh, so hey, question. Oh, go for it. Yeah, Amy. Amy asked a quick question. Uh, she said, "What what about if you're a pregnant woman?" And I, you know, I don't know much about being a pregnant woman, um, but I will say, um, and I guess, you know, you're talking in reference to what do you do with your firearm? Um, you know, in your home, if obviously is when you get later on in the pregnancy, that, that gun, if you carry appendix is going to have to go somewhere else. Right. Um, and maybe if, you know, if you're at home, maybe you you carry it outside the waistband or something like that. Right. Or, um, maybe you don't carry it all. You just stage gun guns in your home with quick access safes in certain areas. That's what I do. Um, I have one, you know, if, if I'm in this area of the house, if I'm in that area of the house, depending on where the door is, I always can get to a gun pretty relatively quickly. Um, and without having to cross over, you know, a doorway, um, and, you know, an entry doorway. So, no matter where somebody comes in, 
I can pretty much get to a gun. So, so maybe that's something that you could look at too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Be, being pregnant, pregnant is not an easy thing. All right. No. I don't, I don't speak from firsthand experience other than I've watched my own wife go through it five times. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think I get it, get it somewhat as far as I'm pretty sure if she, especially if she is, eight months pregnant, she's not carrying a gun on her, (laughs) you know, for very long periods of time. I'm sure there's ways to do it. I'm sure there's women that do it. Uh, I would guess that something IWB four o'clock ish somewhere in that region is probably, uh, a a good bet. Um, as far as like, you probably wouldn't want to carry anything up front. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Amy, if you if you are expecting right now, well, good luck to you. I don't I don't know. I assume that's why you're asking the question. So that's that's very exciting if that's the case. Um, all right, so we have a question here from Mark. Um, <clears throat> he says he has a question. Uh, his question is to do with bullet setback. Uh, he said you encourage dry fire training a lot on your show, and it's something that I would like to do almost every evening after work for at least a few minutes. But one thing that does kind of deter me from doing so is the issue of bullet setback into the cartridge case from repeatedly rechambering the same bullet or top two bullets um, cartridges in the magazine after each dry fire practice session. So in other words, he's he's let's say he's coming home from work, he's got his EDC, which is what he wants to practice with, dry fire. So he goes to unload it, he then does his dry fire session, and then goes back to reload the gun. And so typically in, in you know the normal fashion that usually looks like insert magazine into gun, rack slide, chamber around, and then if you want to top off that magazine, you, you can do so or exchange it for another full one. And the problem with doing that <clears throat> is that you might be using the same round over and over again, or maybe the top two rounds in that magazine over and over and over again. And every time they get chambered, um, over time, you will end up with, he sent us a picture. So um, for those of you on Facebook, here you go. That's a very good depiction of setback. These look like, they could be 40s. They look like 40s to me. Mm. Um, Maybe 45. I don't know. It's hard to tell for sure, but I think they're 40s. Um, and so you see like the one on the, uh, left there is kind of normal. And then they gradually get further and further and further in. And if we see any measure of, uh, setback at all, then I, we recommend that you do not use that round, f- uh, that we, that you don't use that round period. All right. Just to be safe, especially for defensive use. All right. And so t- toss it, throw it away, whatever. Okay. Um, so and by the way, one thing I do to gauge setback is I will take uh, all the rounds out of a magazine or whatever, and I'll just kind of line them up. And at a glance, you can usually tell, you know, pretty good uh, when one is not like the others. It's like that Sesame Street, you know, game. <laughs> Which of these things is not like the other? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of how I how I do that. Because if the bullet gets too set far back too far, it can increase the pressure inside uh, the the uh, chamber because yep. there's less room, um, and so yep. you don't want that to happen. Obviously, so that's that's the danger, and you could cause your gun to to have a catastrophic failure. So that's you that's could. kind of the safety it's, aspect of it. It's possible. I don't know how common it is, but it's possible. The other issue that might be caused is if you have a bullet with setback. Uh, and it's not the one that you just put into the chamber, but maybe it's the second or third one in the magazine and you didn't notice and it could maybe cause a, a feeding failure as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, all right. So good 
good questions here. Um, actually, let me continue here with what he's uh, saying. He said, I usually discard the bullet as soon as I see. That's good. That, that there is setback. Um, he, he recognizes it could, could cause feeding issues. So we, we covered on that. Um, and then he said, for a while, I quit rechambering the round from the magazine in an attempt to avoid this problem. But I quit this practice after realizing I may be putting stress on the extractor by snapping it over the rim of the cartridge rather than feeding it through the magazine into battery as was designed. So what do you guys recommend that I do? So i got some really good uh, thoughts on this for you. So uh, I'm going to take a lead on this one, Matthew. Uh, yeah. And then certainly any additional information you have, uh, you, you are more than welcome. So I have right here my Glock 19. All right, so this thing is is clear, okay? All right, just so, so you Nazis out there can know without a doubt, you know, I've got this cleared Glock 19. And so this is what I do, guys. Um Every every time that I need to reload, rechamber one of my guns, one of my carry guns in particular, this is the procedure I follow. I've been doing this for a couple of years now. I don't I don't think anybody taught me this. I think it's sort of something I just figured out. Although I have seen a couple other people talk about it here here and there in forums, but but I just I didn't I just discovered it myself. All right, it's not rocket science, but most people are not not aware of how to do this. All right, so here's the procedure that I follow. And I'll do my best to describe this verbally uh, for you uh, audio-only listeners. So I've got my uh, Glock basically angled downward in a safe direction, of course. I'm going to take my round. This is a snap cap that I'm using tonight, okay? Um, This is one of the uh, uh, Newbold Newbold. uh, ones, okay? Newbold Targets makes these. They're available for sale on our site. Uh, Very, very reasonable price snap caps, okay? So I'm going to drop that into the chamber. All right, now I'm not going to let the slide slam forward. I'm going to actually ease the slide forward now till the extractor makes contact with the back of the round. And what I what I now see is that this gun is out of battery, of course, right? So now what? Well, then I'm going to turn and being mindful of direction. Now where I'm at, this right here, where this is pointed, is a safe direction, okay? And I'm also going to be mindful about my support hand because this is a common mistake that someone as they are making this transition will sweep their hand with the muzzle of the gun so typically what it looks like with me is i'll drop that round in the chamber ease the slide forward i then bring my hand underneath the gun i come around to the front careful uh, carefully without muzzling my fingers or hand i'm now going to do kind of like a press check and i'm going to slowly now this takes some practice by the way guys this is not necessarily a beginner's thing that i would that i would suggest um but it made it into the beginner's episode because this is something I do wish I'd known earlier than I did. Um, just know that you you need to be absolutely certain uh, that you are comfortable with what you're about to do, that you follow all safety rules, uh, you know, all that stuff. Okay, all applicable legal disclaimers. Just make sure that you are comfortable and you know how to do this, that you're comfortable doing this. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to do a press check. I'm going to slowly come back. This takes a good deal of finger strength. I'm going to slowly, slowly, slowly come back. Oh, I forgot to mention. You need to have this thing angled upward at about a 30 degree angle or so. Too steep and the round will fall out too quickly. Uh, too Not steep enough and, and it's not going to fall out of the chamber. So what we're trying to do is get this round to slide out of the chamber and drop just below the extractor. And we're trying to catch it right at that point and then release it. And what's going to happen is what, what we have is that the rim of the cartridge now dropped below the extractor. And now I can let that go forward and just a little slight pressure on the back of the slide and it's going to push it into battery. 
So what that did is it loaded that round into the chamber. It slipped the rim of the cartridge behind the extractor and then up into it. So the extractor didn't slip over and around the rim and cause undue stress on the extractor or damage to the rim. I can chamber the same round using that technique over and over and over and over and over again. And you'll see almost no damage to the cartridge case or round itself. So I hope that's helpful, Mark. That's how I do it. Of course, now at this point, if I was loading this for carry use, I had an empty mag sitting around here somewhere. Don't know where it went. You could put your magazine in the gun. Away you go. Sorry for anybody that, uh, you know, was uh, uh, unnerved by me sort of muzzling you in the camera, but <laughs> for purposes of demonstration. All right, there you go. What, what else you got to add, Matthew? Yeah, so I'll add, I'll, I'll tell you if you don't use that method and what what can you do? Because if you change, if you just simply chamber around like you normally do on the range or whatnot, and, and there is, there are some schools of thought that say you never do an administrative reload. I know, um, I know James Yeager is big on like, this is something he harps on. He's like, you never do an administrative reload. Even if you're administratively reloading, you always do, you know, you go through the same motions of inserting the magazine, slingshot the, sl the slide and everything like that. So it, it, if, if you do that, and if you, you go about the normal way that you would normally uh, chamber around, your bullets will get set back of it. it you know, it's just, it's just yeah. inevitable. And you can just what accept you, that as a cost of doing business, right. so to speak. You exactly. Know? Oh, well. and, and what you could do is you could um, not just rotate out the first two, but you could kind of just, just put a, like a little mark, take a, a Sharpie, put a little mark on the one, drop it down to the bottom of the magazine. Okay, drop down the bottom of the magazine and then just kind of rotate it like that. Then, you know, if you have a 365 with 12 rounds and you rotating, to, you know, 12, actually 13 rounds. Um, another thing is if you're, if you're now, if you're dry firing every day and chambering around two, three times a day, um, it's going to happen a lot quicker, right? You're going to get set back a lot quicker than somebody who does maybe only dry fires okay. once in a while. But um, I would say in general, if you're getting a lot of setback in, in your rounds, you might be, and, and you're not like chambering three times a day for, you know, a month. If you've had your ammunition, your, your practice or your uh, self-defense ammunition in your gun for six or seven months, it might be time to just cycle it through anyways, not because the, the ammunition goes bad technically, but you got to think like, it's not the same as sitting in a box in your shelf or in, in a, uh, on the shelf in your safe, right? It's out in the, in the elements. It's yep. getting hot. It's getting cold, going from air conditioning. If it's snowing, you know, you come into the heat and all that condensation going back and forth. And I've seen some everyday carry ammunition, <clears throat> excuse me, that's it's tarnished. Like it was, you know, from the civil war, like it's a relic. <laughs> and it's like, totally. dude, you know, not just for setback, but, you know, so I, I, th I think it's always a, a wise bet to every so often, you know, and it's a good, good time to make sure that, you know, any of those rounds that might've, you know, got set back a little <clears throat> and, you know, it, there's no like magic number that says like, okay, they can be set back this far and you're good to go. There's really nothing that, that, you know, is a definitive number. So technically any setback is not ideal. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, 
it's just use common sense, you know, rotate them out. Um, yep. and if you see something bad, toss it. And, uh, and it, 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 it might just be one of those things. It's the, it's the cost of doing business, right? Like, um, just, you, you gotta ditch around every so often you ditch around, you know? Yep. So, so this will be kind of my follow-up or rebuttal to some degree, um, some of that. Um, and then we can wrap this one up for sure. Um, First of all, talking about administrative reloads, I, I, I also kind of frown upon administrative re- reloads, um, especially like even in a class. Uh, I'd much prefer, like there, there are times where I'm okay with it. I mean, like if, if a student is about to do a drill and they, they need a certain number of, of rounds and they know that they're low um, and they want to do an administrative exchange of a magazine while it's in the holster, like uh, I'm not going to beat them up over it. But at the same time, as an instructor, I feel like it's my job to make sure they have the opportunity before they begin a drill to, hey, go ahead and, and confirm the condition of your weapon that it's that you're ready to go before you do this drill, um, and that would be their opportunity to go ahead and you know draw out, uh, check that you know that the gun's ready to go. You know they can put it back in the holster if the drill's being done from the holster or whatever. Um, here's why I prefer this method as opposed to here's the traditional way. All right. To do it. All right. Let's talk about that. So traditionally people, uh, they, they want to have a plus one capacity gun, meaning they have a fully loaded magazine. I did find my empty magazine. I got the snap cap in there now and they, they will chamber or they'll put the magazine in the gun, They'll chamber the round. They'll then remove that magazine and then maybe put the whole gun in the holster or put it down somewhere safe top off the magazine at that point, put it back in. That is that is an administrative reload for sure because that's not something you do in the real world as far as like, like we, we should never be doing that in a fight <laughs> or doing it on the fly and you know, doing it on the go. Like this is only something that we're doing when we're administrative, administratively loading up the gun, getting ready for the day, putting it in the holster, right? So... <clears throat> um, that that to me, like if we we're talking about, if we're knocking on, on on administrative reloads, like I get that because what I'm doing is I'm instilling perhaps this. I, I think it could vary from person to person, but uh, you may be instilling this this muscle memory of magazine and gun, chamber round, pull magazine back out, right? So the way that I do this, I, the way I f- like my brain feels as I think about this is I don't even include dropping this round in the chamber and loading this in the manner that I just described, right? That is lessening the wear and tear on my rounds. And by the way, as much as I dry fire and load and unload and load and unload my guns, I would go through at least one or two rounds per week. And I, you know, I definitely am with you in that people should be shooting their, their loads or defensive rounds out of their guns. I'd say once every six months, rotate Mm -hmm. through those defensive rounds. I think is a good rule of thumb for even for this, for civilian carriers. Um, but I don't even like mentally, I'm not even including what I just did as far as dropping that round in the chamber and, and, and loading that as part of like loading the gun. Like, I, it, I agree. You know, like it doesn't even, it's not even something that would come to mind in a fight, you know? And so then what am I doing at this point? I'm taking a fresh mag and in the same way that I'd load a gun, uh, whether it's a tactical reload, a speed reload, whatever it is, it's going in the gun and I'm not doing anything else. Then it's going to the holster, Right. So um, I prefer that in terms of the muscle memory aspect, as opposed to the other approach, which is load chamber, un, you know, mag out, do whatever, you know, magazine back in. That's that's uh, 
you know, I think a little excessive. Now, Charlie commented that he uh, drops around into the chamber. Then just, I think what he's saying is he just drops the slide onto that round. Um, you know what? Knock yourself out. Like that's that's fine, Charlie. But though I think we kind of touched on it, but you will damage the rim of that round in relatively short order if you continue to use that same round. So you end up kind of with a similar situation. You either end up with a a damaged rim that may not extract when you need it to, or a setback bullet. So anyway, that's why I do what I do because I, I'm doing it enough that I don't want to have to be replacing rounds on a you know every three day basis. Mm-hmm. So anyway, good good stuff, guys. Uh, Anita asks, uh, wh- what is an administrative reload? And uh, so we probably didn't actually define that like super clearly, but an administrative reload is just um, it is. I, what I would say, not a real-world reload. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It's something done for administrative purposes, like you're getting the gun ready. These are things that are, you know, in the in a gunfight, how do we load a gun? Well, it's either you have a slide forward and a magazine goes in and you rack the slide to chamber around, or you have a slide that's locked back and you insert a round and you rack the slide or hit the slide release or whatever and chamber around. Like, that. those are... That's how you load a gun in you know in a fight in the real world. Everything else beside that is what I would probably put in the category of administrative. Mm-hmm. Okay, what I just did a moment ago, dropping the round in all that stuff, that was administrative for sure. The secondary part of it though is less so, but still what I would classify as administrative reload. And I'm sorry, Anita, you'll have to just go back and see the, you know, watch the replay uh, to see how I demonstrated it. I'm not it's gonna magic. All right. All right. We've got to move on. All right. So next up, we have a question from, we actually had two listeners uh, write in and ask about bullet weight. And I thought this was really um, interesting because we had two, like literally within, let's see, literally within like days of each other, send in yeah. the same question. Um, and this was following the part two of the Beginner's Guide uh, episode series. And uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, let's see. So what I... I'm just looking up something here because I want to make sure I get it right. And that is how many, uh, let's see, grains are in and out. I think it's, yeah, there we go. It's like 437 and a half. All right. That's why I can never remember it. 437, but you had it. 437.5, right? It's very precise. I I only knew it was like 400. (laughs) I'm not a reloader, so I don't really know all that stuff. Yeah. So explain to us, Matthew, uh, grains, both in terms of bullet weight and, and, and other things in ammunition that are weighed in grains. Yeah, so so here's the thing. I think, well, obviously we already talked about grain is the weight of the bullet. It doesn't have anything to do with like the total weight of the ammunition or the gunpowder. It, it's the weight or mass of the bullet itself. Um, and you know, you can get, let's say a nine millimeter, there's different grains. There's, you know, 124 grain, 147 grain, um, you know, there's 115 grain. So it depends, it, 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 it relates to the weight of the bullet. Okay. All nine millimeter, but different weights. And that's with 40, 45, all that stuff. Um, and the idea is, and, and sometimes I think people make too much out of certain things, but here, here's just my take on bullet weight and so velocity uh, how velocity and the and the mass of the of the uh bullet are talked about 
especially in self-defense ammunition. But think about, and so I kind of use this analogy of think about getting hit with a baseball, a hard ball at a hundred miles an hour. And then think about getting hit at a hundred miles an hour with a wiffle ball. The, mm-hmm. the baseball has a lot more mass. It's traveling the same speed as the wiffle ball. Which one's going to hurt more? Well, the heavier ball, right? So some people will say, well, I'll just get a real light bullet and I'll shoot it super fast. Well, you probably likely have to shoot that wiffle ball at like 500 miles an hour to get, you know, the, the, the same impact of, of that hard ball because it has more mass. So, he, so here's the thing. The thing that stops people um, is penetration. If you can't penetrate to the organs, you're not going to stop them. So, you know, you could get a very light bullet, shoot it really fast, but it doesn't, it might not penetrate because it might not penetrate as deep. Um, Sometimes bullets will fragment very rapidly and and thus not get the penetration. Exactly. And the penetration is the most important thing. Um, So you need to get a bullet that penetrates. Okay. Um, So the, think about 22 caliber, you know, handgun, handgun velocity is, it is what it is. What, what's the most maximum velocity in a handgun? Maybe what? 2000 feet per second. Yeah. In the case of like four, 460 Smith and Wesson, I think is the fastest handgun round out there. Um, and in like the 300 bullet weights, I think about 300, maybe they might have a 250 grain weight. Uh, option, uh, you can get actually over 2000, like 2200, 2300. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's in that ballpark. Um, But for like most of your everyday carry stuff, everyday carry stuff. I mean, we are no more than, no more than 1200. Yeah. Uh, And 1200 would be like a lightweight 357 SIG. mm -hmm. And so if, if you, if you look at that and you look at like what you're constrained to, like theoretically, if you could fire that round at 6,000 feet per second. Great. But you're never going to get a handgun that you can carry, conceal <laughs> and shoot, you know, a 119 grain bullet, you know, six, 6,000 feet per second. So without getting all like crazy with numbers, cause I'm not a mathematician. I'm just, I just kind of break it down simple for myself. Um, look at, look at consistent penetration, not so much the grains because the grains, yeah, the heavier bullet, it might be able to uh, to penetrate more given the same exact you know gun, given the same exact uh, powder charge, but it, it doesn't work that way all the time. All right, so if you have a, I I mean I like I like 115 grain spirit gold dot ammunition. It it penetrates consist at a consistent depth. It has it's like maybe a thousand feet per second. Um, it, it penetrates within 12 to 18 inches in ballistic gelatin. And so and yep. understand that the ballistic gelatin, like, you know, uh, um, penetration is not related one-to-one to like penetration of a human body. It's not like, you know, ballistic gelatin penetrates 12 inches are going to penetrate 12 inches of human body. It's just, it's just a, a, a general, uh, parameters that, that they try to keep that uh, in because that is a safe penetration um, depth and you're not going to over penetrate with a lot of ammunition over penetration. I really don't think is an issue. Um, You'd really have to get some crazy freak ammunition. If you're shooting hollow points to have it over penetrate, 
um, given, you know, a, a normal hit. So I, I just, my, my advice over the grain is it's, you know, it's the weight of the bullet when you're looking at it and you see the grain, that's how heavy your bullet is. But more importantly than grain, I think, look at penetration, because if you get a heavier bullet, you gotta, you gotta get more pressure behind it to shoot it at the same and get the same penetration. So what's that going to cause? It's going to cause more felt recoil, right? It's going to be a uh, uh, more pressure in the, in the chamber. And so maybe you don't want that. Maybe, you know, you like your, your, I, I like, you know, um, 115 grain. It's, it's nice flat. I, I don't get a lot of recoil, but I get awesome penetration. Yep. And so, um, so that's kind of yep. where, where if it makes sense and I hope I didn't confuse everybody that's listening, but, um, if I did, yeah. I, I apologize. <laughs> but, so, uh, so I'll, I'll just try to add a little additional clarification. Um, I liked the wiffle ball and baseball analogy that you used because, um, if you think about it, like out, out of a gun, like you basically have a certain amount of potential energy that that gun is capable of producing. Uh, just like my throwing arm, like I, I can, I can, if I have a wiffle ball in my hand, I can throw at a certain max velocity with that wiffle ball, uh, that, you know, that same maximum strength and and force I can apply to a baseball, but the difference is going to be the wiffle ball is going to go faster, at least for a short distance. And the baseball is going to go a little bit slower. And that's what we have with, with, uh, bullets coming out of the muzzle of a gun. Um, this Glock 19 is about a four-inch barreled uh, pistol. Uh, if I shoot a 115 grain, it's going to come out at about 11, 1150. If I shoot a 147 grain, which is just a little bit heavier, it's going to come out at like a thousand. Right? That's that's the difference. So the question is, do you want that velocity or do you want that weight? Well, I really appreciated the way you approached it, Matthew, because you kind of said like whatever works, like use it. So. I like to use a resource, um, and we've talked about it before on the podcast, luckygunner.com has a self-defense ammo ballistic test page on their website. It's really, really, really well done. I'm going to go ahead, for those that are participating uh, on Facebook, I'm going to share my screen, and you can see what I'm looking at right here, okay? And I'll do my best to describe this. And uh, But folks, uh, you just got to go to luckygunner.com and, and, and click on their ballistics, uh, sorry, I'm scrolling back to the top, on their ballistics testing uh, page, okay? And what you'll see here is that they've they've done a really good job of explaining everything uh, as, as far as their, their procedures, how they how they went about this. Um, they're consistent in how they did it, okay? And uh, so what we see, and they're using, you know, the right stuff. This is, you know, top-grade ballistics gelatin, not some other uh, medium. So they're, get, they're getting good, consistent uh, data, similar to any other testing... Now this is you know this is not a laboratory that they're doing this in necessarily, but I think they're they're doing the very best that they can, uh, and I think they're being very consistent about it. It looks like an HST round. Yep, yep, it is. Okay, so they explain here, and one thing I like, one of the questions that William, who wrote in about bullet weight, he was also asking about barrel length, and I think what he's getting at is, well, should I maybe consider using a lighter weight bullet and have a shorter barreled gun? so that I can still get good velocity, right? Versus, like, for instance, let's say I'm shooting a 147 grain bullet out of a 5-inch barrel. Um, let's say I get 1,000 feet per second velocity. But then if I shoot that same 147 grain load out of a 3.4 or 3.5-inch barrel, whatever the clock 26 is, let's say I don't get 1,000, I get 
you know, 925 or something, okay? And so I might then use a 124 grain or 115 grain and get 1,000 or 1,050 or whatever, right? So I can kind of, I think that's where he's going with his question. And that kind of makes sense, or at least I understand, you know, why someone would think about that. Here's what I really like about the way Lucky Gunner approached their testing. Now, first of all, they, they used good ballistic gel. They tested everything with heavy clothing barrier, just the same way the FBI does. Okay, they followed the FBI protocols in this regard. All right, the way that it's done is you have a cotton t-shirt material. Explains you know how many threads per inch, how how heavy it is. Uh, some additional cotton shirt material. Then you have Malden Mills Polartec 200 fleece, <laughs> and then you have a layer of cotton denim, uh, similar to Levi's, okay, or jeans, okay. Um, so those are the four layers that are stacked together. They're placed over top of the ballistic gel. They then shoot it five times and measure that the result. But what I like is that every test they do on their site is done out of shorter barreled guns, similar to what most people carry. So you basically get worst case scenario that you're probably not carrying something shorter than this 3.25 inch barrel on the Glock 42 or a 3.5 or 3.4 inch barrel like on the Glock 27 or Glock 26 or on this SIG or not SIG uh, Smith & Wesson M&P uh, 9 compact, okay? So they're using these smaller shorter barreled guns to kind of get worst case scenario results if that makes sense. So they're not testing these out of 5 inch and 4 inch barrels. All right? So that's pretty cool. So then what we can see is we can scroll on down and we can get to where first they have 380 auto, then they have the nine millimeter. So these are the results. They get, they're giving you the five shot velocity average on the far right. They're showing you what the penetration depth, wa depth was, what the average depth was, what the average expansion diameter was. They're showing you a picture of the actual rounds that were retrieved from the, from the from the gelatin. What's interesting, we see some rounds that perform very consistently as far as expansion, like this, uh, I'm not sure which one this was. This is an HST. I'm not sure what, I think it was 147 grain. We see very consistent expansion from this, right? We also see some rounds that just absolutely suck. Uh, Magtech, Guardian Gold, we have one that partially expanded and everything else failed to expand, right? What's that gonna result in? Well, we, we tend to see over penetration consistently. We also mm -hmm. see quite a spread across those, those rounds as well, right? Um, where we see rounds that are very consistent. Like, I don't even know what this PNW Arms one is, 115 grain, but it consistently penetrated like 13, 13 and a half inches. That was the average. And they're all right there together. And we see that they all expanded exactly the same, right? So that just gives you kind of a sense of how, the, what the approach is like from Lucky Gunner as they do their testing here. Very detailed, awesome transparency. You can see the whole process um, and see all the data, right? So what I, the way I would answer this is don't worry too much about bullet weight. Understand mm -hmm. that there are kind of common weights for caliber. 9mm is commonly 115, 124, and 147 grain, right? Almost every major manufacturer makes uh, that type of, those, 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 you know, they make loads in those, one of those three or all three of those bullet weights, right? Um, just find one that is somewhere in this green zone, 12 to 18 inches, um, you know, this one's probably acceptable. It's just over that 18 inch, you know, it's consistent though. That's good. Um, I'd much rather see a little bit of over penetration than under penetration. We don't really see any nine millimeter loads except for this 92.6 grain Magtech first defense, something or other. And here's the Liberty Ammunition 50 grain. This is that stuff that goes like 2000 feet per second out of a nine millimeter. And it's a mm -hmm. super, super lightweight bullet, but horrible penetration right and that's that's exactly that 
I wish I would have seen this first because that explains it perfectly. Yep. Like y- you have a lightweight, you could fire it much faster than these other rounds, but why are those other rounds penetrating deeper? Well, yeah. one of the reasons is they're a little bit heavier. Yeah. Uh, there's other factors, but here's uh, another good example. A lot of people talk about these Corbon glazer slugs or whatever. And, uh, these things just suck. Okay. They don't penetrate, penetrate very deep. They're very inconsistent. You can see right here, we see a couple, uh, there's several inches spread among four of these rounds. And there's one that actually penetrates way deeper than everything else. Very, very wide, uh, variance and, and, un- you know, inconsistency and just terrible general performance. Right. So I'll tell you, there's a couple of rounds you just basically cannot go wrong with. Um, most of the federal HST rounds are pretty good. The 147 grains are very, very good, very consistent. The 124s generally are consistent, but they err on the side of overpenetration. Um, the uh, uh, 150 grains are are acceptable probably as well. We do see a couple of results here a little bit inconsistent, but they're not terrible. Here's another thing too. This one's interesting. The federal 150 grain, uh, Matthew, very mm-hmm. slow velocity, 888 feet per second, right? But these are some of the biggest expanding rounds out there, mm-hmm. 0.71 inches out of a 9 millimeter. And consistent, too. Look at this picture. Very consistent in mm-hmm. terms of expansion. So one, th- one thing that we sometimes see with, with ammunition, with the heavier bullets, they might not be going fast enough sometimes to get consistent expansion. Mm-hmm. And this this load is obviously very well designed. Um, I'm guessing it has a little bit thinner jacket and a couple other things that they've done to make sure that this expands even at low velocities. I, I kind of like that. I think that's um, that, that it's very impressive the yeah. expansion they're getting out of such a slow moving nine millimeter bullet. And and so I know some people will go well. Slow is is not as good as fast. Fast I'm going to get a little bit more of a um, what's the word. Uh, uh, temporary cavity, you know, more expansion that way, you know, that, that it's causing more disruption in the body and in the fluids and stuff like that. And that may be true, but if we're getting consistent, deep uh, penetration and, and permanent expansion, uh, permanent cavity of that bolt moving through, then that's also a really good thing as well. So I tend yeah. not to beat myself up too much over some of these minute details and just find something that works well and, and run with it. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you kind of brought up the cavitation or the temporary wound cavity because I, I've, I've read a lot and I've studied a lot about um, uh, handgun ballistics and, and, and how it relates to uh, physiology and, and uh, wounds and things like that. So um, one, one thing like we talked about, a lot of people think, well, you know, I'll, if I fire around really fast, I'll get this massive cavitation or temporary wound channel. You see it like in the beginning of the, uh, the ballistic gel where it expands, but our bodies aren't ballistic gel. Our bodies are very supple in, you know, muscle tissue, fat tissue, most of your organs besides like dense organs, like the liver, um, kidneys, brain, they're very elastic. So that temporary wound channel closes right back up. It, it expands, but it closes right back up. So the wound channel that you're looking at is that for more that is more important is the permanent wound channel, and that's caused by the diameter of the bullet. And so, you know, um, I think it was uh, either Mark or Sean were talking about what hollow points expand. Well, yeah, it expands and it gets larger, and it creates a larger wound permanent wound channel. So, if you get a large expansion and good penetration. That trump, I, I, w- I wouldn't even care what the grain is. I wouldn't care about 
any, if, if you're getting consistent, if you look at this chart and you see it's consistently 12 to 18 inches and you're getting good expansion, done deal. Like yeah. that's, that's the round. And there's plenty of that, that do that. Um, so that, that would be my, my recommendation. Um, so yep. don't fall for the hype of certain rounds and things. I think this, I mean, I think this chart is, is golden. So, yep. Um, all right, cool. Yep. Good resource. Uh, we'll make sure that the link is in the show notes. Uh, and like I said, I think we've used lucky gunner. Um, Oh, I guess I can stop sharing my screen now. I think we've referenced this before on the podcast and shared it before, but we'll do it again. It's a great resource. I wish frankly that I, that I, that this resource was mine (laughs) because it's so well done, but (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah, um, there you go. Good stuff. All right. So uh, we, we touched a little bit on barrel length. Um, You know what? we probably didn't answer things for William, you know, amazingly well, other than to say, uh, don't stress about it too much, buddy. But here's what I would next say. And this is kind of my segue into the next thing. And that is gun size and or slide or barrel length. Cause that's, he was asking about that right now. Most people tend to carry shorter barreled guns because they're, they tend to be smaller, lighter, uh, supposedly easier to conceal. Right. And, uh, so here's, here's what I, what I have to say about this. So, all right, beginners. Okay. And everybody else. Um, it took me a long time to figure this out. You know, when we, when we go on our own personal concealed carry journey, we a lot of times start uh, the same way. I, at least this is, I've seen this in a number of other people, including myself. So the very first gun I buy is, is a pretty good sized gun. And I'm thinking that's a good gun. Uh, it was 45, you know, 45 caliber. Uh, yeah, 45 is good. Right. And, uh, it, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with 45, but I'm definitely in the nine millimeter camp now. It's everything. What I carry is a, is a nine now. Right. But it was a pretty good sized gun. I started trying to carry it and conceal it. And I, I sucked at that. I, I failed miserably at carrying and concealing this large gun. So then you're like, Hmm, well, I, I must have to use a smaller gun to carry concealed successfully. So then you, then you kind of, sometimes you'll swing almost completely the other side of the pen on this pendulum to big and large and bulky to too small sometimes, you know, and Taurus uh, TCP or whatever that thing is. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super small gun. And then sometimes a lot of times people get stuck in those small guns. Right. And that I'm not trying to say that that's a bad thing necessarily. Um, but I'd, I'd much rather see shooters carry something that's easier to shoot uh, and and performs better, generally speaking, right? But uh, but a lot of folks, you know, they move to those smaller light lightweight guns, and I, I understand why. All right, then then they find, oh, I can actually carry concealed pretty well now. Okay. Um, sometimes what you'll find is, and you, you'll you you may end up like me, where you kind of like, well, that gun sucks to shoot. I suck at shooting it, so now I need to kind of dial it back towards the middle again. And a lot of times we might settle somewhere in the middle um, or maybe not. Now that's kind of, I've gotten to a point where I've sort of, I've gone from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, Not that I ever carried an LCP as like my primary gun, but I definitely carried some things that were very small and probably too small. And then now I'm back to tonight. I'm carrying Glock 17. (laughs) So I'm like swung all the way back over. And really what I, what it is I've realized, Matthew, is that, uh, the thing that newer concealed carriers fail to understand a lot of times is what makes for a great holster. 
in terms of concealability and also comfort. And, uh, and a lot of times too, we might be on a budget or we're a little bit afraid to go drop, you know, some, some nice coin on a nice holster. And, uh, so we, a lot of times we'll choose holsters that are not the greatest holsters and they don't therefore either conceal that great or they are not very comfortable unless we get the ones that are for very small guns. Right. And what I've learned in the last few years is that I can carry and conceal. And this is not true for everybody. I know that there's some, some of you, someone listening is going to be a a petite woman that's going to go, there's no way I can carry a Glock 17. And I will say that's probably true, but I also know some petite women that carry Glock 19s successfully with good choice of holster and also smart dress. Right. So, um, there, there are ways to do this. Uh, what I, what I'm about to say though, Matthew is this is what I, I would say is key for a beginner to understand. The hardest thing for you to conceal is the grip of the gun. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the, that's the thing that people struggle with. Not the length of the slide or the barrel, the grip of the gun. All right. This goes down in the pants somewhere. Right. And I know some people think, well, the longer that is, the longer it goes down into the pants, the more uncomfortable it's going to be. Not so fast. Hold on right there for a second. What I've learned from many years of trial and error is that actually I find that some of my most uncomfortable guns to carry are some of my smaller guns and that some of my more comfortable ones to carry are my bigger ones. Now, I know it sounds super counterintuitive and the, and the key here is using a quality holster. And But, but the other key is that when we put this inside the, the pants, this is a Glock 19, okay, or a Glock 17 for comparison, this is actually a cert pistol, right? <clears throat> the Glock 17 is only like three-eighths of an inch or a half inch longer than the Glock 19 in terms of the barrel, right? The grip is, eh, it's, it's quite a bit longer, all right? The grip is going to be the hard thing to conceal. When we have more length or more stuff in the pants, any of that pressure... Uh, that is created from carrying concealed like that is spread out over a bigger area when it's a bigger gun that's inside the pants. Okay. So I have a P365 holster. I'm not going to name names that I put it on and I went, Ooh, not going to work because it was so small that even with the P365, which is a very small gun, the, 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 the pressure there against my body was over such a small little area. And plus there were kind of some sharp corners on that holster too, which I was not very fond of, that it was, it was quite pinchy for lack of a better term. Okay. And when I put that in a larger holster, much better. In fact, I've got here, this is for the P365 from Filster. I've sort of deconstructed parts of it, so it's not complete here, but uh, this is longer than the actual gun itself. The holster is longer than it needs to be. And so people look at that and be like, "What? why? The, the answer is that it spreads out that, that pressure over a larger area and it conceals better this way because I have more leverage on the gun and the holster below the belt so that the top of the belt and the grip that tends to stick out doesn't, doesn't stick out quite as bad. 
So I, I've, I've spoken there for quite a while there, but that's where I'm at is that the thing that, uh, that you need to understand as it relates to concealability, it's twofold. You got to spend good money on a good quality holster from a maker that understands how to build a good quality holster. It's, we're not just talking about quality of the build of the holster. We're also talking about quality of the design from designers that understand what goes into making a good holster. And then the second thing is that a lot, don't, don't be so fooled into thinking that you got to have a ultra small compact gun to carry concealed successfully and do so comfortably. In, in my opinion, the ideal gun for me right now to carry concealed would be a Glock 17 length slide and barrel and a Glock 19 length grip. Because that grip, I can, on a 19, I can conceal very successfully in most cases with good holsters. And I'm not penalized anymore by having a little bit longer slide as far as the carrying of that gun. What I gain is a little bit more velocity in my bullets and a little bit longer sight radius and a gun that I think is a little bit easier to shoot and control. There you go. That's my, yeah, it, that's a lot it, of stuff to, <laughs> to, to give my beginner's tip, but that's taken me like 12 years to figure out. Now I was just going to come back to that and say like, you know, if people haven't been caring for a long time, they probably don't, haven't acquired tons of holsters like you have, you know, they don't have maybe an arsenal of, you know, 19 to 17, uh, you know, so, so it's difficult as a beginner to really understand, like, um, why does this feel uncomfortable? Is it the gun or do I have a holster that just isn't really designed very well? Um, or is that, or am I carrying it in a way that is not really, you know, meshing with my body. So I think one of the, one of the things that as a new concealed carrier, you're going to have to go through growing pains. You're going to have to, it's going to be trial and error. I guarantee you, if you ask anybody, the gun, the first gun that they started concealing, carrying concealed carrying is not the gun that they had five years later, the holster probably not the, definitely not the same holster, um, might not even be carrying in the same location that they initially carried. So just don't get, don't get discouraged and don't give up. Um, and, and I know it's hard not sometimes, you know, Hey, uh, you, you, you have good intentions. You say, hi, how, what's a good holster? And you, you know, you query Facebook, you know, your friends on Facebook and you're going to get, if you have five friends, you're going to get five different. I love the, I have my alien gear tuck. It's the best one, you know, or I, I have this and it's the best one. And, and it's like, well, which one is it? And everybody has their own opinions. Um, but it's just going to take trial and error. And that's just the unfortunate thing. Um, not only with gun, but with holster and finding that two that go together and where you put it on your body and how you carry it and the clothes that you can wear is, is it's the, the magical quest that like every concealed carrier goes out, you know, that road that they go down. So don't get discouraged. You, you will eventually start finding things that, that start jiving and you're like, Oh man, now I see, now I see. Um, and so, and they're always coming out with different ideas. I mean, like the wing, the concealment wing and claw and wedges on these, on these holsters, that's, that's hasn't been around forever. Right. So they're constantly, you know, innovating and coming up with different things. So, um, just don't get, don't get discouraged. I guess that would be my, my two cents. Yep. Good thoughts, man. So I think this is a, 
this provides an opportunity to naturally segue into a related topic, and that is one dealing with holsters. Um, I have marked here two things, and, and eh, we're probably starting to get a little short on time, uh, so I don't know that we're going to get to everything here, but um, holster retention is one thing, and also also like holster clips. Um, so like the clips that are on typically, uh, you know, holsters, most people's holsters, right? Uh, some holsters do not have clips uh, in the case of like a sticky holster or even the brave response holster. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll talk about, um, th those things. All right. So first let's identify holster retention and why, what it is, what different types there are and uh, why it's important. All right. Um, based on the research that I've done, <clears throat> a substantial percentage of, civilian DGUs, defensive gun uses, has some sort of fight altercation or physical contact before, during, or even after the event. All right. So that, that could take, you know, that, that could be defined as a lot of different things. It could be that initially, um, the bad guy, uh, I don't know, hit you in the face, you know, and you, and you bounced right back and, and I don't know, whatever. Um, but it can also be in the form of you, I mean, it could be in the form of, uh, you get in a wrestling match essentially, right? You know, a bunch of grappling, uh, extreme close quarters fighting. Okay. They're in the, in your face, you are wrapped up with each other, uh, pushing, grappling, punching, kicking, uh, stabbing, whatever it is. And think about opening your door to somebody that you don't know and them rushing in at you and you're trying to push them out and now you're in a fight, you're rolling and, and fighting. Think it, think of that. You know, yeah. yep. So retention is important. Um, I know there are many people that are going to say, I, oh, "I'm never going to be in like a fight like that," and so I'm not that overly concerned about whether the gun will stay in my holster while I'm rolling around the ground or partially upside down or whatever it is, whatever the circumstances may be, right? But uh, I believe retention is really, really, really important. All right, uh, we don't want that gun coming out when we don't want it to come out. And I can tell you from doing some, you know, kind of BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu type, you know, uh, you're just sparring with guys, okay? We, we've done this in some of my law enforcement classes where you're on mats and you're just, you're just duking it out, you're, you know? And uh, when you start doing that kind of stuff, we always do that with blue guns in holsters and blue guns don't generally weigh as much as, as a real gun. And we start seeing blue guns come out of holsters that tells you that a real gun that weighs more is probably more susceptible to coming out of the holster, right? And so you start to get a sense of like what works and what doesn't work. And I'm just going to kind of highlight a, a few different holsters. And the first thing I'll point out is one of the most popular type of holsters out there. And I don't want to dig too much at crossbreed, okay? And I mentioned names because it's obvious by me holding this up what it is. It's definitely a crossbreed holster. This is a hybrid holster, leather backing, kydex outer shell, uh, two metal clips, and it does have some retention. Um, and it's definitely kind of adjustable. Like you can get a heat gun and you can change the depression of the trigger guard area and, and it'll increase the retention. But generally speaking, especially in the uh, IWB position, these don't retain guns very well. There's just not, it's not possible to get enough uh, retention on these because while the Kydex itself might do its job, sometimes what happens when you are in a situation like that, uh, you your body gets contorted or something, it might 
change the amount of pressure that the body is placing on the backing of the holster and thus either loosen or tighten further um, the retention. And that's the problem with this type of holster, with a hybrid holster, is that the retention can change. And that can go both ways, all right? Both in terms of I've seen people not able to get their guns out of a holster because maybe they're laying on it or they've put some undue pressure on it and now the retention is so tight they, they basically can't draw the gun out or the retention gets suddenly loosened and the gun is able to fall out, all right? So that's just a challenge. Now, these are definitely well-made holsters. Clearly, I have one here. I haven't used it in years, but, you know, good stuff from a good company, uh, good people, but this is not ideal in terms of retention, right? Now, this is what we would call friction retention, right? So we depend on the design of the holster and friction and whatever else for it to keep the gun in place, all right? Um, <clears throat> then we have holsters. I don't know. This would be another example of one. This is an all-kydex holster. This is from Black Point Tactical. Um, so we see that it's all-kydex both sides, and it even has re adjustable retention where we can screw these screws tighter, and it's going to either pinch or loosen the trigger guard area uh, more or less, and we can adjust the retention. This type of holster generally does pretty well, all right, because we can learn what re level of retention we need, and we can adjust that friction so it's going to hold it very well. It can still come out in some extreme situations, but far less likely than out of a hybrid holster. Now, I, I, I didn't take the time to go out and find my duty gear. Uh, I'll go grab mine. Mine's right so, over here. I'll oh, grab mine. well, Matthew's got some really handy. So there are... Uh, other holsters that have different types of retention, like a level two or level three holster. Level two would be, basically, anytime we hear us talk about retention in terms of levels one, two, or three, it's like additional forms of retention. So this would be, this one's not even the greatest example, but let's use the black point one again, because it's just a lot more defined in terms of its retention. This would definitely be like a level one retention where we're dependent on one thing, and that is the friction of the gun to uh, hold that in place, all right? And so that'd be a level one. A level two would be that there's two things in place, and a lot of times what they do is they'll use friction as well as some sort of device, whether it's a hood or a button or something that adds a secondary element that needs to be disengaged in order for the gun to be drawn out of the holster. And then there's level three holsters, which like Safari Land is, is the most popular one in this in this regard, where it'll may it may also use a combination of friction as well as a hood, as well as a secondary button or device that has to be depressed or activated in order to release that gun. In the case of Safari Lands, they'll have like a hood and then the a device that for a lot of guns will lock onto the ejection port of the gun. And mm -hmm. so you will basically deactivate the hood going forward and then your thumb sweeps back and hits another button and it releases the other retention and you just de deactivated you know three different levels of retention to get that gun out of the holster. So those are different types of, of retention that most people are probably not carrying concealed with level twos or level three holsters, although I do know some people that do. All right, mm -hmm. what you got there, buddy? Yeah, so this is Safari Land. It's a level two. So I think right here. I don't know if you can see it here, but there's a there's a lever right here, and you have to push it back. Yep. And it it does lock on the uh, the ejection port. So this this has to be pushed back, and it comes out. Um, there's you know think of you like your old school 
uh, leather holsters with snaps, thumb brakes, and things like that. I had one, the first holster I had for duty was a level three, and you had to undo the snap, rock it back, pull it out. Um, so there's all different kinds. And I would say if you are going to open carry um, or if you work a security job, do please, please at least carry level one um, or, or at least get some level of retention outside of friction. Um, yeah. It, because it's so vitally important. Um, the, the holster is not, don't rely on the holster for retention of your gun solely. Um, you know, you mentioned like fighting and, and things like that. I've seen holsters just get ripped off of belts. Yeah, that's true. Um, so you, you do have to have technique of, and, and think about how I can keep this gun, uh, especially for outside the waistband. Um, if somebody tries to twist that, that, that holster off and take it. Um, and, and so I would say if you're going to open carry, I especially I open a, carry. Yeah. I see a lot of people open carrying with nothing, no retention and somebody can just come up there and, and I've seen it like even with those universal, like a, a, like a nylon holster that doesn't have, I mean, it doesn't even really have any levels of retention because there's really no friction. That's even, you just turn it upside down and fall out. So Yep. You're, I think you're playing with fire when 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 you uh, you open carry um, it, it, with a, a holster as no retention. So yep, yep, yeah. So um, yeah, good thoughts, man. Uh, it's so true. Definitely, if you're working security or LE, uh, most departments will uh, have some sort of policy as regards to holsters. If they don't issue you one, they'll tell you basically what you need to have. Uh, security. Uh, you know, companies sometimes don't have um, quite as strict of guidelines in that regard. Um, but definitely level two, minimum. All right, level three is better. And with training and practice, many repetitions, you can get to where you can get a gun out of a level three holster even uh, just about as fast as no retention. All right, yeah, if you, A guy that's really time. well practiced, uh, I've seen him. Uh, in fact, with my retention holsters, I've practiced those thousands of times to where it is second nature. It happens automatically. That's key. Um, a couple of things have been asked about like belly bands um, and, and similar type holsters. I'll even throw Brave Response holster kind of in that category. Um, it's not technically like a belly band, but it, it definitely is similar and uses a similar retention device. Uh, not Now, not all belly bands have retention, uh, but most of the ones that do will have basically some sort of snap release or hook. Um, and depending on how it's designed, I've, most belly bands I see do not, um, you basically have to pull up on the retention hook or loop or whatever to, uh, to get that to be released. Uh, at least in the case of Brave Response Holster, it's supposed to be done with the thumb. As you drive your hand to the to the holster, you can do that in one motion, deactivate that uh, that button, loop, whatever thing. Snap. <laughs> Snap there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's late. And, uh, and then you can draw it out, all right? So um, that's better than nothing. Um, but a lot of times, like I say, I see poorly designed forms of retention that aren't really conducive to a fast and intuitive draw. Uh, so just be advised in some of those cases. All right, let's uh, now talk about, and I think this is probably gonna be the, the final thing. And then we'll have to save some of these other things for future. So obviously now we might, we, we're probably gonna have a part four. Um, 
let's talk about holster hardware, specifically the the clips or hooks or loops that a lot of these feature. All right, so Matthew, I'm going to turn it to you first. Uh, tell us what you got or what thoughts you have. Uh, I know you had a couple holsters on hand you, you were going to maybe show or talk about. Yeah, so snap, uh, how, how the holster connects to your, your belt, whether it's inside or outside the waistband is really important. And I really didn't, you know, kind of like what you were saying, it took me time to really find out what works best and what I like the best. Um, and typically you're going to get a holster that has this clip on it. I mean, I bet you, if you look at your holster, probably nine out of 10 or let's say eight out of 10 people are probably going to have a clip like this. These are not really ideal. Um, they, they're bad. They, they don't have a lot of, um, uh, I guess, spring tension that holds it against the holster and they don't have, they do have like a little hook here, but it's not, it's not enough to, um, keep it from coming off the belt. If it gets twisted or torqued or anything like that, they come right off and it, they can also break. Um, so it's, it's, this is not really ideal. Um, this is kind of like the old, old school, like a lot of people, I, I think that crossbreed uh, uh, holster that you had uh, yep. has has these a little bit yep. better as far as like spring tension, but still not ideal. These can come off as well. Um, something yep. that has a hook, this has a little hook on it, a little bit better, right? Um, so it actually hooks under the belt, so it's not going to come out, but still. Um, but so, can, can we well, look at that one again, real quick? That you, yeah, yeah. You have there, yeah. So what you're holding there is a uh, hook or loop that is constructed from Kydex. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say from experience that uh, those have a tendency to break mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like some sort of injection molded uh, hook. All right. Yep. So this one does it right as far as like we want to see some sort of return. Uh, you want to have a belt sized so that it fills that whole space in the hook. And then we want that return to actually go down under and behind the belt. And, and then we're less likely to have that, that hook come off of the belt. Um, and that's what we see is on, on the draw, a person's going to draw. This happens especially when you're under stress or, or trying to move quickly. And that that clip or hook will actually come off of the belt when you go mm -hmm. to draw the gun. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking, not all clips or hooks are created equal. And there's <laughs> many of them out there that, that really, really are bad. Um, holsters that come with, uh, generally they're, they're handmade or homemade by the holster maker. They'll, they'll, you know, some of them will make these Kydex clips and those are known to Kydex doesn't do very well when you have small sharp bends that are then placed under stress. It'll work for a while, but eventually it's going to break. And so don't don't go with those. And you had another clip I think you showed, which is a plastic one. Uh, maybe the, oh this uh, this one I think we're talking about. Yep. These are the most common one that you see mm -hmm. on the market uh, today. Uh, a lot of your, if you go on Amazon and try to buy a holster, a lot of the stuff you see advertised on Facebook and elsewhere, like uh, just, there's just, they're a dime a dozen, all these different holster makers out there that the standard clip that, that comes with their holster is what you were just holding up there. And it's these plastic clips. Uh, they don't really have a good hook on the bottom side. It's more like a shelf, you know, like it, it, it comes in at a little bit sharper angle than 90 degrees, but not by much. And, uh, I see those fail all the time. As far as you go to draw, 
and that clip will not stay on the belt when, when you want it to, when you need it to. This is a problem, okay? Mm-hmm. Stay away from these cheaper plastic clips on these holsters. Now, there are some plastic clips that are better. Right. But but these ones specifically that we're talking about, and I know this is harder for those that are listening only, but it's these wider, they're kind of like an inch and a quarter, inch and a half, sometimes wide um, pl- plastic clips with the two holes at the top. They typically screw them in somewhere near the top of the holster. Those just are not, yeah, there's another example right there. And the same goes for, see, I've got one here from a, on a black point tactical holster. Okay. The same one I held up earlier, similar design in that it's just a, s- a simple just clip metal. and it has a little bit of a return that goes in about, about probably about 95 or a hundred degrees, uh, angle. And, uh, I ran this holster for a while and then one day and, and Matthew witnessed this, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it came right off my belt along with the gun when I was trying to draw quickly. And uh, that uh, that was a problem. I would say the metal ones are definitely uh, better than the plastic ones, but not by much in terms of being reliable in that type of scenario. Now, I have seen some metal ones out there that actually like cut something kind of in the middle uh, towards the bottom of that clip where they, they create a really nice return where that hook is going to really hook on the back kind of bottom backside edge of the, of the holes or the belt. Um, those I think would probably be just fine, but something else I want to touch on too, Matthew is that I see these wider clips and these I think tend to not do as well, uh, as, uh, let me find another one here as one of these kind of narrower clips. Now these are yeah. some plastic, uh, injection molded clips. And then you see that they've got a little bit of return. I got to get on the right side here. I'm looking at the camera backwards. They got a little bit of return. It kind of hooks on the bottom of the belt a little better than, than most clips do. Um, and it's particularly if you see these narrower clips and you see two of them used together with some space in between, that tends to do quite a bit better than just one standard wide clip. Mm-hmm. The problem is... What ends- Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, because what ends up happening is you have one pivot point on your belt mm-hmm. and the, the holster does this. And if your gun's doing that, you go to grab, sometimes your your the butt of your gun's way underneath your belt line. Now it's popped up. It's it, So yep. it's not good. You want to keep it however yeah, and, you set it up. You want it and I don't know how to explain it terribly well, but with those single wide clips, we're able to leverage and torque those. And if you can get a corner of those to pop loose, then the whole rest of the clip will come loose. Mm-hmm. With these uh, narrower clips, uh, they you, you can't really leverage those quite as easily. Um, and, and at least if you have two, that's far better than having just the one, right? Um, I do have an example. This is a G-code NCOG uh, holster for a uh, Glock 43, and uh, these are these are strong injection molded clips, and we see have a pretty good return on the back side there. Um, and the way this, just the way this is designed, uh, I think it has something to do with this circular portion at the top too. It, it's able to exert quite a bit more consistent force. Sorry, I'm kind of flipping you off there. <laughs> Wasn't realizing. Thanks. <laughs> Not really thinking about it. Just like pointing with whatever finger was convenient at the time. Um, I've had good luck with these G-code clips, these plastic ones that are injection molded. These injection molded ones don't tend to break um, like the uh, Kydex ones do. Here's another example of another injection molded clip that has, this one has a pretty nice return hook on the bottom. So it gets a good uh, 
you know, hook around that belt is less likely to slip off. In fact, I have, sometimes I have trouble getting this one to come off when I'm trying to take it off because it, it's hooked on there so well. And, and also, uh, we mentioned like the size of your belt. Typically you're going to get an inch and a half or inch and three quarter size belt. Mm-hmm. Make sure you get the clip that matches your belt. Yes. Because, um, it's either, obviously if it's too short, right. If you have an inch yep. and three quarter size belt and an inch and a half clip, it's not going to work yep. and vice versa. If you use too small of a belt and too large of a clip, then you have it moving up and down. You yep. want to match that up as best, you know, um, if you can. So that's something, another thing to pay attention to with yep. clips. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. And actually, uh, we find that, uh, wider belts do better than narrower belts, um, because you're not able to exert quite as much torque, um, on those wider belts. The other thing is a, is a good thick belt. I like to see a good three sixteenths inch thickness or thicker as opposed to like an eighth inch. Uh, that's going to do a lot better as well. We, we want that belt to fill the void behind the clip right? If we're using clips. Now, what if we're not using clips? What are some alternatives? These are loops. These are, these are the gold standard. If you are interested in a holster that will retain and not, it's basically impossible to get it to come off your belt. Like you will rip through your belt first before you probably rip through these. Um, these are, these are loops made from, it's a rubberized nylon. They are basically infinitely usable. They're just, they just last forever and ever and ever. And they have these buttons, which are, they call them pull the dot buttons. And so what it is, is there's um, the button itself has a little dot on the top edge and you, you, they will only release pulling from the top down towards the, uh, towards, towards your feet. Okay. And then they snap in the same way too. You put the bottom in first and then the top snaps in last. So essentially on your, when these are on your belt snapped in place, the belt, can't you can't pull these apart from the bottom up only only when you intend to to hook your thumb or finger on the top edge of that button and pull it towards the towards the uh, towards your feet and then they will uh, they will release these loops um and more and more i'm moving away from all anything clip related and moving over to loops these are awesome they retain super well they are a little bit slower to put on um, certainly I can put on something like with these clips a little bit faster, but, uh, with practice, I can get to where I can put these loops on pretty easily as well. Yeah. And, and I'm like you, I probably maybe, I don't know, close to a year ago, I just started slowly changing out my holsters going with, you know, with two loops. Um, and, and there are holsters that have one loop and you run into the same problem as one clip. Um, yep. it, it retains it well on the belt, but it doesn't keep the gun from moving. So like I have my black point tactical, I replaced those metal clips. The metal with clip, yeah. Yep. And, and I just find these, I, I think if you try it out, you'll find how much difference it feels on your belt, how much more secure your gun never moves. The holster never moves. It just, everything just starts working better. You're not adjusting it and has it popped up this way. Yep. You, you, I, I just, uh, I think it's probably one of the, you know, a good way to go. Um, yep. That's, that's what I've been doing for several months now is almost 
nothing but loops. Uh, occasionally some clips still, but mostly all loops these days. Uh, one other thing, and Amy is asking about this. She says, I don't wear belts and haven't ever, especially now. And I think it's because she, she she's the one that asked earlier about the uh, uh, about being pregnant and, and whatnot. Um, I totally get that. Now I would say this, all right. I'm not gonna I'm not a I'm not a lady, so I can't speak to to uh, you know female needs. Uh, and so it's not fair for me to say, you know, well, this is how it is. And I'm, you know, I'm a dude, but regardless if you're a dude or a dudette, like you should just, you should just do what I say. Um, but you are probably always better off carrying a gun somewhere in your waist. If you, uh, if you also wear a belt, but I also understand due to styles, uh, what dress, whatever, you know, that a lot of women don't wear belts. I get it. All right. You'd be better off if you did, but still, uh, here's here's an option for you, okay? Ulti clip. This would be another thing we should talk about. Uh, these have become very popular these days. Uh, they they work really well. All right, they are super secure. They lock in place. You know, basically, I got a hook on. I got to you know pull on that uh, tab thing, and then it releases this. Uh, it's also kind of somewhat spring loaded. Like it, this, just exerts a lot of of leverage and force onto that clip. And boy, you you can you can wear these without a belt. They will latch onto your pants, your jeans, whatever, even uh, uh, yoga pants. Uh, these will work very well. They'll always work better in pairs. Like if you got a, a little bit wider holster, if you have a place you can mount two of these, that's going to definitely be more secure with that. When you, especially when you don't have a belt. Um, but I've definitely seen women that successfully been able to wear the and guys too without belts uh just using the single clip because they do hold very very well of course this is mounted on a knife sheath of, of mine um so ulti clip that's that's an, another really secure option um that also will work belt or no belt uh if with a belt i, I actually find that this is very successful for very concealed carry meaning like we don't want to have any clips or loops or anything showing in the case if we were tucking or anything like that you can actually hook this onto your your pants behind the belt, have the belt over you know in front of it, and you basically you'll see no clips, no loops, no no nothing. Uh, and uh, so Ulti Clip, really really cool uh, option. It's been around just a couple of years now, but we're seeing those available more and more and more from more uh, holster manufacturers. Anita is asking about gun belts made for women. I would actually encourage you to take a look at some of the offerings from Five Eleven. They have some stuff specifically for women, um, and I know they also make a version of my favorite belt it's i think it's called the tdu double duty it's basically tan color or coyote color on one side black on the other side so it's reversible uh has a a, a really strong plastic d style uh uh belt loop or or uh buckle or whatever uh it's a simple belt infinitely adjustable whatever size i can and, and i like that because I'm not limited to specific uh, holes or anything like that. And a lot of guys like to use these um, uh, kind of Cobra these, buckle. Yeah, Cobra buckle style belts. And they'll use like a Velcro, you know, thing. Those are also infinitely adjustable. Those are cool. But I really like these simple, they're like 20 bucks. You can buy a 511, just a basic nylon belt that's fairly thick. Fairly, I get, I get the inch and three quarter versions. I also have an inch and a half version, but I prefer the inch and three quarter one. And you can use it in a couple different uh, ways. And like I said, I'm pretty sure they have a a women version as well, as well as some other options. You can check those out on 511tactical.com. Uh, I've I've definitely seen those in their stores, both the the men and women's belts. So hopefully that's helpful for you, Anita. 
So um, basically what it comes down to, guys and gals, um, don't use these crappy, uh, cheap clips and things on holsters. Don't buy holsters that come with those. With those, Basically, that's a big red flag to me. When I'm looking at, at holsters, if I'm, if I'm holster shopping, if I just see one of these big, massive, wide plastic clips, I, to me, that, that's a holster maker that uh, isn't that serious about making a quality holster. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, you may not realize this, but there are, cause I see them and I interact with them and I know who they are sometimes, uh, there are holster makers out there that are not even all that into concealed carry mm-hmm. that, that or like as far as their understanding of it is, is very, very, very limited in terms of their knowledge that they, they happen to make a good quality holster. Like they know, they know how to, you know, work with the material and make it, make it make it well, use quality components, you know, as far as like the screws and the hardware and different things, but they don't understand like what makes a really good concealed carry holster and sometimes don't understand what makes a comfortable holster. And I'll tell you, that's just like, that's one of the number one flags is that, that cheap plastic clip that you see on like 90% of the stuff on Amazon and eBay. And I go, "Mm -mm, no no good. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that's what it comes down to. Uh, loops are the, the primo option for good connecting of holster to belt. Um, yeah, and you can you can still get tuckable loops. Yep. Like you know they they have these struts right here. Well, the one I'm wearing. Tuck. Oh yeah, yeah. You you got one right there. Yeah. So you know uh, what, I've got one I'm, here as well. So these yeah. these have a tuckable strut on them. These are the loops, and uh, so I could still wear this and tuck my shirt back behind these struts. Um, and these got the loops. And uh, similar, this is basically the same design of a holster, but this one comes with the clips. And I'm okay with these clips. There's not my not my first preference, but these still perform pretty well. Also still tuckable, so that works out really great. Um, one other thing, too, I was just thinking, Matthew, and that is just any holster with a, uh, here we go, uh, with, a, with a solid uh, loop, right? Not, not, the, not these button loops, but, and then typically this is what you're going to find on an OWB holster, an outside waistband holster, right? So kind of limited in its use, but obviously those are going to generally, and these are the, this is Blade Tech, and they, these are pretty good quality uh, products as well. So, and you know what, before I forget about clips, one thing that I would do, I highly recommend is any of the hardware, well, you mentioned screws and hardware and things like that. A lot of holster companies will are now shipping blue Loctite with their holsters. Yes. I highly recommend that you use that once you get it all dialed in. You 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 know where you know your adjustments are. You put a dab. You don't have to kill it with the, with the Loctite, but put yes. some on because I know I, I probably one out of every six classes I've attended somebody's holster falls apart totally you know something happens where uh, and they lose the screw and then they're like oh no what am i gonna do (laughs) so um and some of these screws are hard to find a lot of holster companies uh, use chicago screws um which (laughs) i'm not gonna get into all the detail of all these different types of screws but uh some of these are hard like you can't just walk into an ace even sometimes and find some of these screws um i will give you a little tip uh you get if you lose screws or hardware or you're looking for extra hardware or looking to change out hardware, because I'll tell you what, if, if you have these you know, cheaper clips and you want to go to something different, um, you might not know exactly where to go to be able to buy some of that stuff. And you can actually go to holstersmith.com 
And uh, basically, the, holstersmith.com sells parts and pieces and, and different things for holster uh, builds uh, and holster makers. And so go to holstersmith.com and you can order basically anything that you might imagine that as it relates to holster uh, products and accessories. And uh, they have a really great selection of screws and studs. You know, studs are the, a lot of times you see on the back of this one here, um, it's just a, a post or a stud that goes through the backside of the holster and then the screw goes into it from the front side or vice versa. Um, so you can get any of that stuff. You can get the little rubber washers that sometimes a lot of these holsters will use. You can get all that stuff, holstersmith.com. Really, really easy to use. You can some for some of these things you can even order in quantities of one or two, and they might be twenty or you know thirty cents a piece. You might pay eight bucks in shipping, but <laughs> you know you can get a couple of screws if that's all you're missing. So, yeah, yeah, there you go. I I, I think we better uh, call it call it a wrap <laughs> for tonight. Mm. Uh, I hope this is helpful for you. Uh, when we talked about uh, bullet setback, bullet weights, barrel lengths, gun size. Uh, slide length, et cetera, et cetera, what to do with your EDC, holster retention and holster clips and other hardware and different things like that. Um, I hope that's helpful for you, all right? Uh, use quality gear. Use quality clips and all that stuff. Um, remember all those other tips and things we talked about as it relates to bullet setback and weight and whatnot, right? So there you go. Uh, that's part three. Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide. And uh, I guess we'll see you back at some point for part four. Maybe we'll get Jacob back on for that one as well. Uh, we were, we were going to talk about mindset, uh, some things, that, some thoughts that Matthew had on mindset. We were talking about printing a little bit um, so and some other things. So we'll, we'll save those for a future episode. Uh, if you want to hit us up with uh, the email address, podcast at concealedcarry.com, anything that you guys want us to touch on in a future episode, as especially if it relates to like kind of beginner type information, or maybe you're a more experienced concealed carrier, but you think, I wish I knew this back then when I was brand new and would have just saved me a lot of time and trouble. A lot of the things we talked about today is it kind of comes from that approach. Like I've just learned from trial and error and sometimes learning hard lessons especially as it comes to holster hardware and, you know, and, and, and the size of gun that I carry. Like I, I touched, I touched on that for quite a way, quite a while. This is just stuff that I wish I understood 10, 12, 15 years ago. It's taken a while to figure out. So hopefully we're saving somebody out there some time. <laughs> I hope for sure. Or we're wasting your time. One or the other. <laughs> Is it time or saving? I don't know. Well, which one. amazingly, we still have a few people on the live feed here tonight. Uh, and it is for some of you. Well, Matthew, it's like one in the morning. Is it really? Sorry, bro. Oh, <laughs> it is. Yeah. So we'll let y'all go. Uh, reminder to uh, oh, dropping my stuff here. Uh, go to uh, ammo where, uh, ammo supply warehouse.com for really great prices and ammo guardian nation members say 5%. Also check out the vehicle firearm tactics course. If you haven't done so already, concealedcarry.com forward slash VFT. And then once again, just one last call, shoot us an email by like Monday evening. Um, basically midnight, I guess. I don't know. Just because Tuesday morning we're heading up to a, uh, we've rented a house for several days. It's going to be our set for a couple of days while we film this home defense course. And uh, just that would be kind of the, the last call there that if you have any thoughts of, hey, this would be really good stuff to cover in a home defense video course, hit us up with an email podcast at concealedcarry.com. 
com. So with that, Matthew, thanks so much for being uh, with me here this evening. Thank you. And As always, I'm happy to be here. Look forward to seeing you again soon. I think we're going to have to do the podcast, uh, whether it's you or Jacob, no matter what, we're going to have to record what would be normally Tuesday's episode on Monday or something because um, because Tuesday we're going to be shooting that that uh, video. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll work on getting that content to you guys next week. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Have a great evening, everyone, and also a great weekend. See you later. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.